0: Uh, we're going to begin um, as we, we do the public reading of Scripture, we just reflect on God's Word. And so I just want to read to you uh, from the Gospel of Mark um, before we head into the sermon here. And just uh, hear this interaction between this uh, man and Jesus. So Jesus was setting out on his journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Woo! This is the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, that's good news good news. It's an invitation to sell everything and follow Jesus. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we, we actually began a new sermon series. Um, it's called Eternity is Now in Session. It began on Easter. Maybe it's kind of lost in the Easter uh, shenanigans, but uh, we, we sort of usher in the eternity in the presence of a resurrected Jesus and we're invited to be a part of that promise and reality in him even now as we gather together. And worship, and so I'm not gonna lie. Like the the Sunday after Easter is like wah wah for me. I feel like the prophet Jonah. Like I don't. It's like why did we preach last Sunday the promise of eternity to people who I will not see the next Sunday? They don't deserve it, right? There's this this feeling that comes after Easter we do the full orchestra we do the full choir we do all the decorating and then we come to this Sunday and it sort of creates this tension in me and it's always there anyway but then Anthony uh, he worked on this series so he picked this text thank you Anthony I I love you too as I reflected on these words of Christ's call to this man to sell everything, and I was thinking about, you know, what eternity is and what happened last Sunday that we acknowledged. You know, the big question for me is, now what? Like, now now what? Now that that we've had Resurrection Sunday, now that we know the story that we know, because we go through it every year, we experience it through Holy Week, now what? What does it really mean for us? are your lives different this week because of Easter? I still have debt. How about you? Yeah? You see what I mean? Like, what changed? What shifted? Like, what's different for us? What does it mean? And this is an important question because this is the question the rich young ruler was asking Jesus in a way. He was like, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? What is it about what is promised that I need to strive for, lean into, because for him it matters because he understands there's something there. He was really asking, what are the minimum entry requirements to become part of the kingdom of God? And it's a good question. Like, do you, do you come the Sunday after Easter to get into heaven? Do you have to obey all the commandments? Do you have to sell all your possessions? I mean, Jesus had a unique, he was in a unique position. He could actually look at somebody and know their heart because he was the son of God. And he could, he could sort of discern like, you, you, you have everything, but you lack one thing. Here's the one thing that you love more than me, and that's your stuff. And so if you want to be with me, get rid of it. And let's go. Let's do this. He couldn't do it. And the whole passage is really astonishing because it's really a challenge, you know, to, for us to read and for us to ponder. It's, you know, I sort of wonder, like, why don't we preach on this text on Easter Sunday for everyone who comes uh, once a year, right? Good luck. It's hard. But what does it mean? And as I was thinking about this question, like, what are the, the entry requirements, the minimum entry requirements, what does it mean to have faith and be faithful and, and be part of the promise of new life and resurrection, and I had this moment of, I thought, well, what if the question the rich young ruler is asking is really not the question anymore? Like, what if the people that aren't here, that aren't even here on Easter, what are they not even asking about it? Like, what if they don't care? about eternal life, resurrection, then what? I mean, I, this is just an interesting thought because we spend a lot of time offering that up as the hope and, and painting the picture and, and, and we say this is what Jesus does. But what if it's really not what they're looking for? I mean, eternity is a hard thing to grasp. It's hard to think about the future. It's hard to think about resurrection. It's actually unbelievable. Normally in the church on this Sunday, we talk about Thomas because he doubted. He had questions about this resurrection. It's unbelievable. It's miraculous. So what if people aren't even really asking What are the minimum entry requirements? And that's what we're giving them. I think what most people want to know is is if it makes a difference for them now. Because if it makes no difference now in what I'm experiencing now, then why follow Christ? I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, honestly, if there was no resurrection, if there was no hope of new life, I mean then really Jesus is a great philosopher, a great moral teacher. Maybe he can teach you how to live. Maybe it's some self-help kinds of stuff. But like, there's nothing beyond that. But it's hard to think beyond the now. And I think this uh, poses a challenge uh, to people of the faith. I mean, for sure. For us, for sure. For me, for sure. Because what this raises, the question that this brings to us, challenges us with, is what do we need to bring to people for them to understand who they are in and with Christ? I mean, if they look at you and they look at your life, I mean, can they look at you and say, oh man, you have the hope and the joy of the resurrection in you. I can just see it. It's making a difference in your life now. Or are we really just like everyone else? And if we're really just like everyone else, believer or non-believer, then what does that mean? I mean, I know lots of people who don't have faith that contribute to good causes. They help old people across the street. (laughs) They're good neighbors. And so it's challenging. Because it's about more than just uh, behavior. It's about something bigger. And this got me thinking about salvation. Like, what is salvation anyway? Like, what what is it that we're really talking about or or striving for? You know, the idea of salvation is sort of, you know, it gets its roots in the Old Testament. There's a certain set of laws that are really about being ceremonially clean, that is, you know, being able to be around other people. It's basically hygiene and diet and, and things of this nature. This just good practices. And then there's like a, another category that really has to do with deeper things, like things of the soul that, that have to take care of maybe some things that are not good at your core, the core of maybe who you are. And so they would like sacrifice a bull. Another animal's death would sort of substitute, be a substitute for the death that you experience. And this is what we get to when we get to Christ, is we get Christ on the cross who's dying so that we don't have to ultimately die. He's sort of taking it on for us. Again, this may not make sense, but this is how God works. This is how God designed it, and this is how we do things. God's Son saves us through his death. And ultimately, salvation is being saved from guilt and shame and ultimately death. In Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and that, that hope that we have, that joy that we have, that anticipation, it's, it's meant to give us a sense of that energy and life that we have in him. And I think, yeah, absolutely, we, we do. We experience that hope and that joy and that sense of anticipation at least one Sunday a year, right, on Easter. And then what? Do we experience that? And do people get that from us? I think one of the hard things is, and I told Anthony this morning, I was like, I could probably just wax philosophical for 40 minutes up here uh, on this, but I won't because I know y'all want to eat. Um, But there's a little bit of a disservice in the way we do church, just a little bit. And that... When I stand up to, to give a sermon to preach, I, you know, on some level, I'm assuming I'm preaching to a majority of people that have faith and believe, or at least they're exploring it. And so most of what I talk about is it's, it's sort of re-educating, it's reminding, it's maybe a little correcting, and maybe it's a little bit of encouraging. And so I may say things like, don't do that, do this. This is what unfaithfulness is, and this is what faithfulness is. And and this is how we come together in the body of Christ and move forward in a positive way. And this is really meant for people that know Jesus, because otherwise, why would you? Like, if you don't know Christ, why would you want to live the way Christ calls you to live? And so I think what happens sometimes is that you, you maybe hear the way we talk and teach, and you think that's what people outside these walls need too. And it doesn't work that way. Someone who doesn't worship, someone who doesn't know Christ, you can't go and tell them here's here's what you need to do to be faithful. And so they don't get that joy and hope and anticipation. They get the guilt and shame from us, actually. You're wrong. You should be like us. Actually, don't be like me. Be better than me. So what do we bring to people and what do people see in us? And when we talk like that on social media or in public spaces or in interactions, what people end up doing is they end up just avoiding us and avoiding Christ. Like it's, why would you want to be a part of something that makes you feel guilt and shame and tells you you need to change all the time? See, it only makes sense if you know Jesus. If you know Christ... You're like that young ruler. You hear the call, and it's not an easy call, but you're like, your heart starts pumping, your mind starts racing, and you're like, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to mess up. He's going to forgive me, but I'm going to keep working at it because I know who he is, and he knows me. But if I don't know who he is, I feel disconnected from it. I'm going to avoid it. Like the plague so here 's what i here 's what I know to be sort of universally true is that people feel empty, <laughs> really a lot of people uh, feel some sort of emptiness, and they don 't know why it 's hard for them to articulate it i'm not talking just like depression, although it can be depression, but I'm just talking like we there's this is maybe a sense of yearning or mourning that there's something missing, maybe things. In, aren't panning out the way you feel like they should. Maybe life isn't going the way you thought that it would. There's something in you that sort of intuitively knows that it's not quite right. And what plays into that then is a feeling of loneliness at times or, or at the very least this feeling of disconnectedness um, from God. If you have any sort of spectrum of faith for sure from yourself, People struggle with understanding themselves and with other people, like we can kind of feel like something's not quite right all the time, like when he said he said, "Oh yeah, we had our small group, and it was it was awkward I'm like,, well, of course it was because y'all were there right that's my kind of group I am I embody awkwardness, something not quite right so we feel Disconnected, it's hard to connect in a deeper way. So everyone's kind of feeling and searching and, 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 and stumbling along the way, trying to find their way through that eye of the needle, even though they don't know that's what they want. They want that hope, that anticipation, that joy. But when I hear stories about people that come to this place where they haven't, Here's what I can tell you. I've never heard a story about someone saying they came to faith because someone told them how wrong they were and everything they needed to change about their life. I just haven't. I've never heard somebody say, yeah, I was, a, I was completely a non-believer until my neighbor came to me and told me that I was just dead to sin and needed to turn or burn. Like, I just, I just, I don't hear that story I never have. I, we have a we had a house for sale next to my house where I live in the neighborhood I live. Someone finally moved in, and I was joking with a friend of mine. I was like, I'm gonna go knock on his door, and he was like, Are you gonna tell me you're a pastor? And I was like, Yes, I'm gonna knock on his door and ask him, Do you know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And immediately he would put his house back on sale. I'm sure. But then, as I, you know, as I met him and we were talking, like, I've learned that he's he's actively going through a divorce. He's feeling empty. He's feeling pain, and and so, what, my, you know what God says in Malachi? God hates divorce. You should reconcile. Oh yes, you're right. I love Jesus. That's not how it works. I don't hear stories like that. I also don't hear stories. I don't hear stories where people say, you know what? I just made so much money and I'm so wealthy that I just came to faith and need Jesus. Like I've never heard that story either. I'm like, please God, give me that story. Now I hear stories where, where people's lives come apart and then they were cared for by someone who was a believer and because they cared for them they think, I, I want that. I want that for myself, and I want to do that for other people. I hear stories about people who lose everything, like the rich young ruler was being asked to. It just, just It's taken away from them. They don't give it up. And when everything's stripped away, whatever it is that they worship, whether it's money or family, health, when they lose it, then they're like open to Jesus. So when it comes to salvation and when it comes to eternity, there's this thing, it's called felt sense. It's something in psychology. It doesn't matter, like, it's kind of depressing if you're a therapist. They say it doesn't matter how good of a therapist you are. How successful people are in changing, growing, developing has to do with what they call felt sense. And I, and I kind of felt like felt sense is really what speaks about salvation in a way. Felt sense is sort of an understanding of how you feel and, and what those feelings mean and where you need to go with them and how it affects you. It's complex, it's nuanced. I think salvation in Christ is, is kind of a felt sense thing. You can't just say, if you show up to church, you're saved. That's not true. But you also can't say, you don't have to go to church. If you just say it, you're you're saved. That's not true. There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's all Jesus. But if you're not doing anything, then do you really care about Jesus? It seems like it all contradicts, but we're talking about a felt sense, a nuanced kind of thing. Like, I have a felt sense that even though I have doubts even though I get frustrated, even though I offend people at times, even though I mess up at home, Christ is there. I have a felt sense that even if I don't fully understand how the math all works out for what gets me home, what brings me to life at the end of all time, I just have a felt sense that that Christ is alive, and he's calling me. It's not always strong, but inside, I feel it, I know it, Christ is with you. He's with me. And it doesn't matter what I do, in a way, Like, I mean, it matters what I do, for sure. But even if I'm a jerk, even if I'm turning my back, the felt sense of Christ's presence is that he's always calling. He's calling, come, 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 come. And I just keep going. And as I stumble and as I mess up and as I fail, he offers me salvation. He shows me the way. And so I just pray that you have a felt sense of who you are in Christ. And then even in the midst of your uncertainties and doubts, that he is with you. And then we continue to faithfully, even at times not so faithfully, follow him and know that we're forgiven. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.